Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Twin Sons Transmission. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, joined, as always, by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey, guys. Today, we are going to be talking about The Mandalorian, and we're going to be finishing up the season with episodes 6, 7, and 8. Um, so, I'm very excited to talk about this, Jesse. I mean, this is the very first Star Wars live-action show that we've gotten, and we have a full season now, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to say this, but I just wish we had more. I know, like eight episodes, it felt like I, I, I wanted, I always want more. I can't wait for the new season, the next season to come out, because they are filming it, and it is happening. Um, I just hope this is a show that continues on for a long time, because so many people are enjoying it. Like, it just seems universally loved, and it's been really fun to just talk to anyone and everyone about it, because everybody is so positive about this show. Right, which is very refreshing. And we love all of Star Wars. I mean, you know, we're a very positive group of people, I feel like, here at Twin Sons. Um, but to have other people share our positivity with The Mandalorian is, like you said, pretty awesome. Um, so let's talk about episode six, which, or chapter six, uh, The Prisoner. And this was directed by Rick Fumuyiwa. I don't know exactly if I'm butchering that or not. Um, probably. Probably. But it's okay. So this one definitely had a different feel to it to me. It was not the same, didn't have the same vibe as the uh, original five chapters. But it was awesome. Um, a lot of cameos in this one. Um, essentially, just a quick uh, refresher. So the Mando gets uh, reached out for work, um, goes and joins this group of people to go rescue an associate from a New Republic prison ship. Um, and so we get introduced to all of these new characters, Mayfeld, um, Xion, or Xion? I think Zion is it's, how it's... It's spelled X-I-apostrophe-A-N, but in the show... Zion. In the show, it sounded like it was like Xion or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the way that it's spelled is not how it sounds in my head, so I don't know. <laughs> um... Who is the Twi'lek, played by Natalia Tena. We had Zero, who's the droid, and Berg, the Deveronian, played by Clancy Brown, who was also Ryder Azadi in Rebels and Savage Press in Clone Wars. So it was really kind of cool to see him. Um, Mayfeld, played by Bill Burr, of course, um, and he's the leader of the job. So what do you think of all these new characters that we got? I thought it was really interesting to get some of these characters from the Mandalorian's past. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this episode, it, because it did feel so different, it was kind of like to show us that he's not always been like this honorable, you know, guy that we know him to be now that he had this like dark past with what is essentially 
I mean, they were talking about rival crime syndicates. So I guess we could really call this group like like a smaller scale crime syndicate almost. Yeah. I thought that the the interaction between all of these characters was pretty great. That's why I like Natalia Tena, um, and her acting was was awesome. She was kind of creepy, like she had yeah. her little like weird laugh and her like hissing almost. And all of a sudden, when she was involved in fights, she had all these knives that she was just launching at people. Like, <laughs> oh my god, what's going on with you? She- she played a really good, like, crazy, like, Harley Quinn, like, almost-esque, like, character, like, psychopath character, almost. Yeah. She was, she was cool. And the weird thing is, a group of my friends are about to start a RPG, like a, like a role-playing game, uh, where we all were going to be working, essentially, for the Emperor to go off and do some special mission or something. And um, I was creating my character, and I wanted my character to be a female purple Twi'lek with sharpened Mm -hmm. teeth, and she had, like, a really crazy past. And then all of a sudden, we get this character, and I'm like, oh, dang it. Oh, oh, that's (laughs) cool. (laughs) It was cool, but it was like, yeah, yeah. That was my idea. Dang it, Mandalorian. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and then we get Berg, the Deveronian, um, who literally gets like flamethrowered in the face and is fine, you know? Yeah, is that like a Dever? I was thinking about is that like a Deveronian like quality that they're like flame resistant? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. They're resistant to heat? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I really enjoyed the the New Republic prison ship that we see and how it was all manned by droids. Um, you know, even the New Republic yeah. is... Sin- yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's For something sure. that you might see, you know, in a Clone Wars episode where, you know, like Anakin and Ahsoka jump onto this, you know, Separatist prison ship and it's run by yeah. droids. And, you know, this is a New Republic prison ship. So... Yeah, and- you think the New Republic would be, like, a little weird about, like, having a bunch of droids around. Yeah. It's like PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the New Republic officer um, that was in the ship, I think his name was Davin. Um, yes. That was Matt Lanter. I did not recognize him at all, which is crazy because, I mean, I love the Clone Wars so much. I know what so many of those actors look like in person. I, I just, I recognize so many other cameos and I did not know that was him until I read an article. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, oh my god, that's Matt Lanter. And I was like, <laughs> shut up, I see him. <laughs> yeah. I see him. Yeah. That's cool. Some. What did somebody say? It was like, Anakin has been canonically killed by the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why this episode... It, I mean, it had so many cameos, and I don't know... Like, if there's a reason for that, like, they're just like, hey, check out all these people. Um, maybe it was a directorial sort of choice. Um, yeah, I feel like they just had, a, like, the opportunity to have, like, a lot of, like, humans with their faces showing that, like, aren't main characters. So, they're like, why not? Like, you got one line. Just throw somebody in there. <laughs> yeah. And this one kind of put Baby Not Yoda in the back seat a little bit. Like, the group okay. discovered him on the ship on the way to their mission. Um, but really, he didn't, like, do anything. 
in this episode. No, it started to look like he was going to a little bit at the end, like he was going to um, go after Zero, the droid, but he ended up yeah. not needing to. Yeah, this one was definitely to show, to highlight and show us, like, the Mandalorian's past, for sure. Yeah. We get to see Quinn, who's the prisoner that they're all after, um, Shion's brother that's uh, essentially left behind by the Mando, and he kind of betrays the group because they, you know, are all betray him, essentially. Um, and then there's sort of a bunch of fights that happen. So Berg fights the Mandalorian, and then, like, the door crushes Berg, but then he, like, gets back up. And it's like, jeez, what's going to kill this guy? <laughs> um, and then the Mando fights Sheehan, um, and she's using all these knives against him. The Mando kills Zero, but that's the only one, right? The rest of them get put in a cell. Yeah, but at the time, like, the first time you were watching it, were you getting the impression that he was, like, murdering all these people? Because I, I thought, genuinely, yeah. yeah, I genuinely thought they were dying. And I was like, oh, is this episode to show us not only that he had a hard pass, but, like, that he's not, like, who we think he is? He's actually way crazier, but it turned out that he was just capturing them all. So now we have this New Republic prison ship with all of these you know, bounty hunters on there, what is going to happen? What's going to happen to those characters? Will we see them again? Nah. I feel like they served their... Yeah, I feel like he, like, he he bested them, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they've all been captured. He even sent the New Republic after, you know, the the head guy, I think his name was, like, Ren or something, um, sent... Send them in after that guy too. So it's almost like he just kind of like outsmarted all these people, and they they're just captured and done now. They seemed like they deserve to be captured. Yeah, they were all such a group of not good dudes. He the Quinn guy didn't even care about his sister, right? Who seemed to care the most about rescuing him and going back for him. He was like, I don't care. I just need to get out of here. Yeah, that's pretty messed up, Quinn. Yeah. So like you said, the Mandalorian sort of outsmarts everybody and sort of lures the New Republic um, to the location of the rendezvous point, and that turns out badly for them. Mando's fine, um, but the New Republic uh, sends a few X-Wings. Dave Filoni was in one of the X-Wings, and so was Deborah Chow, who directed a few of the episodes uh, in this season. And then there was one other person, which I don't recall who that was um, i found his name i'm going to butcher it um it's rick and then here's where i can't say it fam you there's oh, like a y and yeah. a w that's the, i think that's the director of this episode that i butchered at the beginning of talking about this episode i oh, think it's the yeah. same guy yeah yeah <laughs> yep that's they all had names. Did you know that they each have their own character name? What are they? It's Dave Filoni's, which I love. His first name is Trapper, and his last last name is Wolf, of course. Of course. So yeah. Trapper Wolf. And then um, Rick, his name is Jib Dodger. And Deborah Chow is Sash Ketter. Cool. Yeah, that was awesome. It was awesome to get them in there. I did not recognize Deborah Chow right away. Um, and I did obviously did not recognize Rick, but as soon as Dave Filoni was in there, I'm like, 
Wow, Dave. Yeah. Okay. This is cool. I literally, I yelled when I saw Dave Filoni. I was like watching it with my husband. He was like, why do you care so much about this <laughs> random guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only so long that you can be behind the scenes without actually having your face appear on the camera. Tell that to uh, some of the other people, like George Lucas in episode three, you know? <laughs> yep. All right, let's go on and talk about chapter seven, which is The Reckoning. This was directed by Deborah Chow. Um, and so quick summary, the Mando gets a transmission from Grief Karga, and he's got an offer for our Mando uh, because the client has made it difficult for the guild to operate. So um, the Mandalorian, very smartly, I might add, ends up recruiting this crew. And this is something that we've been sort of waiting for. You know, we got all these characters, Squeal, Cara Dune, IG-11, and, you know, a bunch of characters that our Mandalorian runs into throughout the beginning episodes, and then they're gone, and we're like, oh, they're going to come back, they're going to come back, and we finally get them back. So we get Cara Dune, we get Quill, and IG-11, who everyone thought was destroyed in the first episode, is now back. Yep. That was super cute, too, to, like, watch Kuwil, like, kind of raise him and, like, teach him everything from scratch was super adorable. It made me fall in love with <laughs> IG-11, honestly. Yeah. And I just, even the acting in those scenes, like, while the music was playing and they're showing us that, you know, Quill is, is reteaching IG-11 how to do things, like, IG-11 literally just, like, dropped a crate on an animal. And Quill's yeah. like, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like super sweet that he like went out of his way to teach him that that was wrong. You yeah. know, like he didn't need to do that. He was just teaching him how to move a crate, but he like yeah. took it a step further to be like, and we don't kill small animals at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty funny. But IG Eleven was one of my favorite characters in the first episode. He was just ruthless, taking people out. It was awesome. And then when we thought he was gone, I was like, oh, like I bought the hot toy and now he's in the first one and that's it. But we get him back. um, And I was very excited about that. Um, Obviously, Quill is awesome. And so is Cara Dune. So Cara Dune is she's so cool. Like, I loved where where we found her. Just like she's just like fighting for fun. Like, yep. Which is Gina Carano, honestly. That's literally her, an MMA fighter. So I just think it's cool how much they took um, her character like, and like based it a lot off of her. I read this really cool article. Um, where so- It was an interview with Jon Favreau and Gina Carano where he talked about how they talked about with together what Cara do, like what her costume would be. And Gina was kind of... Um, hesitant to have her arms be showing because she has very like strong like masculine like arms or like masculine in like a you know conventional sense I guess mm-hmm. and she was a little hesitant about it and John Favreau was like insistent he was like I want people to see like a strong woman like I want people to like be proud of those arms like those are like you are awesome like I just want them to see you as you and literally Later in the episode, she's arm wrestling the Mando. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> she's so cool. Yeah. And talk about that scene, though. That got, that went dark 
really quick because we had little Yoda baby start force choking yeah. Kara to Why? Pr- protect Mando. Is that the reason? I mean, he thought he was yeah. he thought he was in danger, so he was just like, "I'm gonna kill you." Yeah, because he's like really, you know, I mean, when you're a baby, you don't really understand what's going on. So, I mean, the Mando, they're like all like grunting and they might seem like serious, like maybe he thought they were like really fighting. And and he seems to always be ready to to go to the rescue of the Mandalorian. So he must have just really, really misinterpreted that situation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it also really shows you a lot about this species. I mean, this guy's a baby, this baby Yoda, Mm -hmm. tiny hardly able to speak words like doesn't even say anything that's le- like legible as far as uh, or audible like actual words doesn't say anything that's yeah. an actual word and mm-hmm. um he's able to do pick up mud horns he's able to heal people he's able to force choke you know so i wonder if like the force is the first thing that this species learns you know right like they have this like just intense instinctual it seems like understanding of how he has control he has full control i feel like we and all the other kids that we've come across that have the force they really struggle in the beginning to you know make a stone move Mm -hmm. you know or to just not just be using the force you know without even meaning to and for you know just general life things and this little baby is like you are in trouble i will force choke you (laughs) <laughs> that thing is going to attack you, I will throw it into the air. Like, he just has full awareness and control of the forest. So, yeah, I feel like that's like a that's like a Yoda species thing. Yeah. Really awesome. Well, so unless they, this kid is just out of this world, unique, and, you know, really, really crazy strong. I think it would be more interesting, though, if it was, like, a Yoda species thing. Yeah. Well, we know that Yoda was very powerful, so is right. that a coincidence or not? I don't know. Uh, so we go to Navarro again, and I like Navarro. I think it's a kind of a cool planet. Um, we see some lava flats throughout the, throughout, uh, their journey on this planet. Um, but we also find out that more Imperial reinforcements have amassed. Um, and this could be because of, uh, Moff Gideon, who we get later on in this episode. Um, but we get to see a really cool scene with Karga and him being injured during the night with the winged creatures. And then Baby Yoda, again, Force Heal. Yeah. That was like our first look at the Force Heal, too, I feel like, which was really foreshadowing Rise of Skywalker. Because this was the episode, I correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the episode that they purposely like moved to earlier in the week so yep. that it could be before yep. the Rise of Skywalker. Yep. So I feel like that was like a, that was like getting us ready for everything we were going to see Yeah. in the movie. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. We get to see the client back again, and obviously this is, you know, they they, ha- they come up with this plan with Grief Karga, and he's always been sort of like a mystery to me, like a question mark, like where does his loyalty actually lie? And we find out that this whole thing was a plan to capture Mando. However, Grief Karga kind of changes his mind, um, and then they work through trying to uh, get back at the client. So... I mean, were you expecting this? Do you think it was a trap the whole time? I mean, I haven't trusted this guy from the beginning. I've always like felt like he, like even in the way the actor portrays his his role, is very over the top, and he's just kind of like a very show offy and like 
says whatever he thinks the Mandalorian wants to hear is kind of the impression I've always got from this guy. So I definitely wasn't shocked to find out he was originally planning to betray him. But I feel like he's playing like even you can tell in the guy's acting. Forgive me. I forget his real name, but Carl Weathers. um, Okay, yes. Even the way he's playing it, like you could tell he's become like the character is more genuine now. He doesn't seem as like over the top. So I feel like he probably has completely turned to our side. I wonder if it's because the Mandalorian was helping him later on, you know, that he felt like he was safer with the Mando on his side. I think, too, like, you can't look at that little Yoda baby and, like, and and betray it. I feel like you have to be kind of like a really, really bad person. And especially after he saves his life, like, there's, like, a life there now, too, to add to that cute factor. So I think you would just have to be a really bad person to, to betray him after all that. Nobody else had a um, a stem for him. Nobody else could heal him after the poison yeah. was spreading from the flying dragon things. So, you know, baby Yoda to the rescue. Yeah, and I was looking up because I believe, yeah, this kind of goes into the next episode, but I think it's important for right now as we find out in the next episode, you know, all these characters have, you know, there's more to them than than we originally knew, and Moff Gideon names him as a um, a disgraced magistrate, which I personally had to Google what a magistrate was. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I don't know about you. It is a civil officer or a judge who administers the law, especially one who conducts a court that deals with minor offenses. So... He's a disgraced magistrate. So that means he was probably like a, like a, he was like an, a judge, probably like under the imperial rule, like somebody who upholds the law. So he went huh. from that to being like a, a, a bounty hunter ringleader. I don't know what you want to call it. But so he was like once an honorable person, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know how like... honorable you can be if you're under imperial, you know, jurisdiction, but. Yeah. Well, you got to wonder at this point. So I know that the Mandalorian began five years after the fall of the Empire. So how widespread is the Empire's, you know, survivors? Like, we see a decent amount of them here on Navarro. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know how powerful they are actually at this point. Um, But it seems like with Moff Gideon, they are still a force to be reckoned with. Um, they betray the client, they shoot him, Moff Gideon is at the at the helm, everyone seems to respect Moff Gideon, um, and even in the next episode, you know, he's, like, killing people for talking back or something like that. Like, he literally just, like, it's shoots. crazy. Yeah. Um, we also get to see, at the end of this episode, Quill gets killed, um, and the scout troopers snatch up little baby Yoda. So. Um, yeah. And- any final thoughts on chapter seven? Yeah, I mean, I just really have been kind of like, I really have been like kind of predicting and racking my brain on, you know, the last thing that Moff Gideon says in this episode is that 
um, he's talking about the child and how it's like you might have some idea of what you have but you don't know the half of it and then he says this like he goes it means more to me than you will ever know and he's referring to the child so this just like again has me like wondering like what is it like yes this kid is like highly force sensitive and is very uniquely powerfully force sensitive we can see that but is he capable of even more than we've seen so far for him to be this important to this like what's left of the empire basically like they're like relying like on him almost like it's everyone who is involved even the client was like this asset is of extreme importance to me like I just want to know what their use is for him like what what they're hoping to get out of him. Do you think this has anything to do with Palpatine? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I kind of think it doesn't. I mean, I, I to them, I would, I would, I would imagine that this is just like a group of Imperials that happen to not be on the Death Star, and you know, still feel entitled to ruling the galaxy. But like, maybe they kind of knew. Maybe they. They knew what Palpatine was doing, that he was, like, collecting for sensitive children, and they thought, you know, that that would maybe be a way to bring the Empire back to power. I don't know. Yeah. Was- I keep thinking back, too, like, would they have known that it was Force-sensitive, the Empire? But, I mean, in the next episode, we see him literally, like, Force-push the incinerator trooper, and, you know, he goes flying. So, I don't know. I'm sure we've seen him use the force right yeah and yeah i mean i'm sure they know he's force sensitive but why does this one baby matter so much to them like more than any other like they're not like like, we don't see them out like hunting down other force sensitive kids right now like yes all those kids have been in danger for a long time and been in hiding but like why this particular kid why is he so important yeah all right, well, let's go on to Chapter 8, Redemption, directed by Teika Waititi, who I believe is IG-11. Um, oh. Yeah. And so we get the scout troopers, and one, um, we see that they are really bad at shooting things, which we yeah. kind of already knew. But <laughs> one of the most controversial scenes that uh, I feel like a lot of people didn't like is them punching Baby Yoda repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, I I was yelling and I have it in my notes, stop hitting my baby in all caps. <laughs> yeah. And they hit it him pretty crazy. hard too. Like they were swinging rear and back and nailing him, but when they opened up the little like blanket, like he looked fine. He's like, "Uh, I'm yeah. fine." So I mean, yeah, it was really it was honestly difficult to look at. Yeah. I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah. But, like, I mean, I know what they're trying to, like, convey. Like, how urgent it is to get this kid out of this situation. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty rough, but it was, it was cool. But IG-11, once again, just totally dominates and wrecks things. Um, it was really kind of cool to see him jump on a speeder bike and take stuff out. Um, we find out that Moff Gideon is XISB, which is pretty cool. We get to see an E-Web. Um, which uh, was really awesome to see, actually. And then, so, Cara Dune's full name, Cara Cynthia Dune. 
And we finally get the name of the Mando Din Djarin. Um, so this Moff Gideon seems to know a lot about everybody. Yeah, and it's extra cool that I thought it was a great nod that Cara Dune is from Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Which explains her like intense alliance to the Rebellion. Yeah. Um, we also get a little bit more clarity on like Mandalorian, right? So Mandalorian is not a race. It's a creed. Um, and so, you know, people are like, oh, you have to be born on Mandalore to be a Mandalorian. Like, no, you know, just forget all that. Like Mandalorian is separate, something totally separate. Something I also wondered was, because we, they keep mentioning like the Great Purge. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've mentioned they mentioned the siege of Mandalore in this episode, and and a day that was called the Night of a Thousand Tears, um, which seems like it was part of the siege of Mandalore. I wonder if the Mandalorian, because Mandalorian is obviously or was obviously a race. There's a planet called Mandalore, and if you're from there, you're Mandalorian. That's just you know how language works. But like, I wonder if after you know these great purges that we still don't really know much about and all these horrible horrible things that sounds like has happened to mandalorian since we've last see them in you know rebels is really the last time we saw them um which is quite some time now i don't know exactly how many years have passed but well the mandalore resisted imperial expansion i don't think like the siege of mandalore that we're going to be getting in the clone wars is yeah is the same thing there's going to be a a separate imperial expansion yeah so yeah so mandalore has been through a lot since we last saw them i wonder if it's like a completely just devastated planet by this point like i wonder if people just don't really live there anymore they're literally all scattered throughout the galaxy and like now they've become like a creed or a religion more than a race because it's just like they maybe this is just me speculating maybe they couldn't survive anymore on mandalore maybe it's just been completely devastated yeah well i think you know with what we get in this episode it's clear that over time mandalorians and how people view them and what they are has changed their ways have changed i mean we see with the whole helmet thing right um mm-hmm. you know where dinjarin says he can never put it back on and you know all that stuff and um no one's seen me without this since i was a kid and then other people are like well we've seen so-and-so without a helmet we've seen so-and-so without a helmet I knew that Disney would screw it up somewhere. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, Mandalorians have changed over time, and that could be something specific to his clan, the Creed, whatever. It could also be self-preservation since this purge, whatever happened with this purge. I mean, when you hear the word purge, that kind of sounds like everybody's dead the end. That's like (laughs) what I think of when I hear the word purge. So, I mean, that could just be like a a change in culture 
or sense something, if that's something that big affects your entire society, like there's gonna be a shift in in the in your entire culture. So maybe that's just something they started doing self-preservation wise as they you know left Mandalore and went throughout the galaxy. They're like, we just need to protect ourselves. They stay underground, they hide their faces, they're just trying to survive at this point. Right. It's almost like the Jedi too. I mean they felt fine walking around on Coruscant during, you know, the Republic days. But then once the Empire was after them and once, you know, everything, like, people hid and they did not they did not want to reveal that they were a Jedi. And, you know, I mean, they had such a target on their back that it wasn't worth making it obvious who you were. So uh, stay underground and, you know, all that stuff. Um, we get a flashback in this episode, and this is sort of uh, something that we've seen bits and pieces of early on in the season, um, but we really get to see how Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, gets saved. And we see his parents, and they put him in this little, you know, pit uh, to keep him safe, and a super battle droid opens it up, which we kind of saw before, but then Death Watch shows up. And Death Watch was something that I was freaking out. I was like, oh my god, it's Death Watch. And um, I don't know if a lot of people noticed this. I know Amanda didn't see it right away. She was kind of like focusing on other things. But the Death Watch symbol was on the, I don't know if it was the shoulder bell of the Mandalorians. Um, Yeah. And she'd be like, why would they be attacking the Separatists or whatever? And it's like, well, because if you remember back to the Clone Wars, the Death Watch, I mean, they were this military group of Mandalorians that opposed Duchess Satine's rule being a pacifist and they at first tried to team up with Dooku to take the planet back but then they got betrayed and then so they were kind of their own thing they even teamed up with Maul all this stuff is in the Clone Wars and um, you know Death Watch really kind of played a, a big big part and so of course they're going to be shoot, shooting the super battle droids you know Yeah, I didn't recognize the symbol right away. I knew that it was important, and I saw it, and I was like, I've seen that symbol somewhere. And then I think you said something to me about it, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, that's what that is. And, like, it changed my whole world. I was like, oh, my God, I have so much to think about now. This is awesome. Yeah. It was really cool. And I I hope we get more of Death Watch, to be honest, as as the show goes on, because they're a huge part of the Clone Wars. Yeah, I wonder if they're just like a huge part of what has continued on, you know, the Mandalorian lifestyle, if they're kind of what's preserving that culture, because that's what was the most important to them from the very beginning is is preserving that original like warrior, you know, creed. Yeah. And so they just continued that. Maybe they've just become, you know, more honorable as they do so. <laughs> We get to see a big battle with IG-11 as he rushes in on his speeder bike, just taking dudes out again. Very reminiscent of what we get to see in the first episode. However, our Mandalorian gets hurt in this battle, and he's just ready to die. He's ready to give up. He's ready to throw in the towel. He wants an honorable death, and he's ready to just lay there. More important than surviving, he wants to keep his helmet on. Yeah. Which I think is crazy. It is crazy. I if I was Cara Dune, I would have ripped it off his head. And like, you are being ridiculous. <laughs> I just take it off because, yeah, it's not worth dying for. But it's cool. Like, I'm glad that we kept that 
Like, I'm glad he's kept that. Like, I, I, it would have not been true to his character if, like, we were like, oh, well, it's been revealed. And then he, he was just, like, a helmetless Mandalorian the rest of the time. Yeah. So I'm glad they found a way around uh, saving him without showing his face to anybody. Well, let's talk about that scene a little bit. One, um, were you expecting to see his face in this season? I was not. I thought, honestly, that we were never going to see it, which I, I did, it didn't bother me. Like, I wasn't, like, anticipating seeing it because they we knew who was playing him, right? right? Um, why can't I think of his name? Pedro Pascal. Gosh. Thank you. Pedro Pascal, who's huge in Game of Thrones and is just, like, a well-known actor. And so, you know, I've had, you know, what his face looks like in my head the whole time I'm watching. So it didn't really bother me that he never took his helmet off because we know what he looks like if he was anybody you know special or like a like a character that we already knew like I don't think they would have so quickly shown us you know who was the actor I I don't know but um so I wasn't I wasn't anticipating it being like a big reveal or anything um but it was cool. I'm glad we got to see him. And, like, now at least we get we know what he looks like. And everybody, you know, who's watching the show knows. But he can continue on. Yeah. I think he just has such Following an awesome look. The way. And mm-hmm. he's the main character, obviously. It's such a part of his culture and, and life to keep his helmet on. That I, I feel like the only time that we'll see him with it off is... You know, maybe now that we know what his face looks like, maybe if he's eating or something, we'll see him without his helmet. Or at the end, if he ends up um, going back to Sorgan and settling down at the village, that's the only time I think we'll see him, like, willingly take it off in front of someone else. Yeah, like, giving it up at the end and just settling. Yeah. Um, What I also thought was cool about that scene was that we got to see Back to Spray, and... You know, that's not something that I feel like I've seen before. It's usually a liquid and, you know, you go in it or, um, you know, it's it's like in the back to tank or we've seen the stims where, you you know, it's almost like a shot. Yeah. Um, but I don't, to my knowledge, I could be wrong. I don't think we've seen a spray like that before, um, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah. Don't they, like, kind of spray you in, like, Battlefront? You, like, throw it into the air and it, like... <laughs> Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's like a back to bomb that you can throw at people and heal them or yourself. Yeah. Um, Incinerator Trooper, that name was taken from the Force Unleashed game. It's like the flamethrower guys, which is kind of cool to see one of them in the episode. Um, We saw one in the trailer, and so we finally get to see it here in Chapter 8, which was pretty cool. I loved getting to see Yoda Baby take on that Incinerator Trooper. Yeah. That was... I I was as much as like he's always come to the rescue. I was not expecting that. That totally caught me off guard. It was he pulled a cane in. That's what it reminded me of. As soon as I saw him holding back like those intense flames, as I just saw Kane and Jarrus like holding back that big explosion. Yeah. And then he like fainted, right? Didn't he like fall over after that? Or was well, that... he even like. He did. Well, I don't think yeah. he totally passed out this time, but he, like, also controlled the flame. He not only, like, held it back, but then he, like, sent it away before mm-hmm. he, like, kind of collapsed a little bit. Yeah. It's just, like, a crazy demonstration of what he's capable of. 
there was a line by IG-11 in this uh, in this scene that really made me laugh. And he's like, um, "You've suffered damage to your central processing unit." And then yeah. we go to we go to the Mandalorian, and he's like looking around. He's like, "You mean my brain?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> central. I'm just gonna say that from now on for the brain. I'm just gonna say central processing unit. I'm what it around is? Telling people that. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so they go. Cute. They go into the sewers and they they go to the covert and they um, they find the armor, the armorer, and um, this scene with the armorer. I mean, it was it was cool. We find out that the 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 empire sort of like wiped. All the Mandalorians out. There's that stack of helmets. Um, it's not really a stack. It's more of like a pile. But yeah. um, so obviously that was pretty sad. The armor smith survived. Um, she but, was really cool. I hope we get to see her again. Yeah. She just fought them with like tools. Yeah, like hammers and stuff, like wrenches. Was yeah. that a big wrench or? A- tongs yeah i yeah. think so she was yeah. awesome well i thought it was cool not only to see her just take out people and you know we'd see like the the armor parts like bits and chunks flying off of people's armor um but yeah. she gave us a little bit of backstory too um talking about mandalore the great versus the jedi um and we got a little bit of a history lesson with the mandalorians versus the jedi in the early days of the galaxy so i thought that was really kind of cool and we know um about everything that happened with uh you know the dark saber which we'll talk about here and how it was like a mandalorian jedi um and how that plays a role um and so we finally get to see um more information on that baby yoda is now a foundling and the mando's his father he got his signet the clan of two and he got his mudhorn signet which is pretty awesome and that was a very sweet. I love that little signet. Makes me want to like get like a little, like a like, like a patch or something that has that signet. That'd be really cool. Or a tattoo on your. Face. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, around my face. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> the coolest thing at though. That tattoo. That oh yeah! Oh yeah! It was. It's awesome looking. <laughs> it is. He gets a jetpack too. And, you know, yes. I think all the Mandalorians, even Sabine, as she says, oh, I got to get a jetpack in, like, the early parts of, of Rebels. Um, and there was a comment, I think, from Mandalorian on one of the earlier episodes about needing a jetpack or something. Um, and so now he gets it, which is really cool. Um, apparently he was, like, too weak to use it or something, but he used it anyway. Um, but, yeah, that was really it was awesome. Cool they called it like training in the rising phoenix I thought that was that was really cool it reminded me of like sabine yeah for some reason so obviously quill went in the last episode and we get to see ig11 make a really great sacrifice for the benefit of the group in this episode where he um essentially finally gets to <laughs> finally he gets to uh self-destruct himself yeah. So, <laughs> after wanting to do it multiple times in the first episode, um, his wish is fulfilled. But he saves the day. I mean, he allows the group to exit the opening of the the river. So, I thought it was really cute that at the end, you know, the Mandalorian kind of 
changed his heart about how he feels about at least IG-88. Um, I don't know about if he's going to feel the same about all droids that he meets in the future future but ig88 or i keep i just said ig88 twice (laughs) ig11 um ig11 really you know he trusted him in the end which i thought was really really sweet and he ended up getting all emotional um when it was time for him to to sacrifice himself so i thought that was i thought that was cute that he had like a like a a change of heart when it comes to to droids a little bit there at the end yeah and he was just literally like trudging through the lava, which was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and sad, yeah. but yeah, yeah. it was. It, he's cool. I'm sad that that he'll be gone because I really started falling in love with that character. Yeah. Well, we also get to see the Mandalorian take down Gideon's Moff Gideon's Tie Fighter using his jetpack, which was really cool. And um, at the end of it, at the end of this episode, we get to see Gideon escape his crash tie using the dark saber. So um, we're running out of time here, but real quick, Jesse, what are your thoughts on the inclusion of the dark saber in this episode? How do you get it? Uh, I was so excited by this. I love, love, love the tie into the Clone Wars and Rebels. I'm so happy that that's getting brought into this because that's such a huge part of what the Mandalorians were a part of in those last um, two shows. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it has to be a very sad reason he got it. I know we last saw it with Bo-Katan, so that can't mean good things uh, for Bo. And, you know, where we've seen the, where we last left off with Sabine and all of the Mandalorians. So, yeah, I'm sad that he has it, but I'm also really, really excited that we get to continue, you know, that storyline. Because that was so huge. I think, to me, I it was one of two things for me. One, uh, we know the Mandalorians and their their honor, and you know we even see with Gar Saxon and Sabine, it's a one on one fight, and you know even with Maul and Pre Vizsla, they challenge each other. It's a one on one duel essentially. Um, so I feel like you know if that happens, Gideon would have have to have maybe gone up against Bo-Katan and fought her in which case I feel like Bo-Katan would probably wipe the floor with Moff Gideon but he does <laughs> he does seem pretty pretty good at 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 fighting um but I feel like <laughs> Bo-Katan would pretty much mess him up like one on one for sure but it he just seems like he has so much power behind yeah. him weapon-wise and manpower-wise that, you know, the Mandalorians have always kind of been, like, struggling for, like, having enough people to survive, I feel like. That's kind of their thing. Um, So I could see how they could get overpowered by something as large as as the Empire at its prime. Right. Well, that was was my other thing. Like, if he didn't beat her in a one-on-one battle, which, like I said, I don't think would happen, but he would probably have to have overwhelmed her or overwhelmed Mm -hmm. the Mandalorians to the point where like, it wasn't a fair fight by any means necessary. Like it was just like a total wipeout. And maybe that was part of the, you know, the, the massacre, uh, the purge, maybe that could have been part of it. Um, But it was really cool to see that kind of make an appearance again. I feel like, because I don't think, no, he doesn't, the Mandalorian doesn't know he has that yet, but I feel like when he sees that, you know, that's such a thing that is so important to the Mandalorians, their culture, their history, you know, every single Mandalorian, 
that we've seen seems to know exactly what that is and how much it means to them. So I feel like when he sees that, that is going to like fuel a fire and get him to want to take this last group of Imperials down because it seems like these people ruined, you know, everything the Mandalorians had ever had. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much where season one ends. Um, Cara Dune seems like she's staying on Navarro. The the Mandalorians welcome back to the guild if he wants, but he ends up leaving with baby Yoda at the end of the episode. So, um, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that this was a fantastic first season. Great job to everyone who contributed to um, The Mandalorian, whether it be directing or part of the cast or crew or whatever. Um, it was awesome. It was very awesome and, and uh, can't wait for season two. Agreed. Which is filming now, so fall is when we should get it. Um We've got a lot of great episodes coming up. We have our next episode, which is going to be on the rise of Skywalker. We will have uh, seen it a few times by then and be able to watch it uh, or uh, talk about it in detail. Um, we are also going to have our second book for uh, December, actually, even though it's January. We're taking a break in January for the book club, but we've got Force Collector we're going to be talking about um, on one of our next upcoming shows. Uh, we'll be doing that for the book club with Amanda as well. And also, for those of you, of you who are interested, um, make sure to join our book club, which is the TSO Book Club on Facebook. You can find our group there. We, uh, we're over 70 people in the group now, so we'd love to have more people join us. Um, but we are voting currently on our book for the month of February. Uh, we've got uh, Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. We've got... Um, Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed, and we have Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate by Zerodia Cordova, I think her name is. Um, but uh, we're, currently, we're currently voting on that, so definitely go onto our book club page and, and participate. Uh, Jesse, before we go, where can people find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under the handle at Twin Sons Outpost. All right. And if you're looking for places to listen to our show, you can find us on our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left-hand side. You can find all of our episodes there. You can also find us on the Star Wars podcast app through the Google Play Store and on iTunes. And if, if you enjoyed this show and you think we're pretty wizard, you can go ahead and leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts app. All right. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up, as we talked about earlier, so make sure to continue to follow Twin Sons Outpost on all forms of social media for all the new content coming out. Thanks so much for listening to us, and may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Sons Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut.
I'll beat you to rendezvous point on Halloween. You're starting to annoy us when we can see.